The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We have been discussing for several months now the marks of success, the things and that we see, that we glean from Scripture and the lives of, of, of some of the, the men of the Bible and, and things like that, the things that made them successful in their Christian life. We've been looking at that for several months. We've looked at a lot of different, a lot of different uh, areas and, uh, of, of study. Most late, most, most, of late, we've been studying on the tests of discipleship, and we're looking at different categories of our, in our lives that we can test. Uh, examine ourselves to to see what kind of disciples we are. We've talked about different categories, and most lately we're in category in the category of love, uh, testing our love as disciples. Remember, Jesus said that men would know that we were his disciples by our love for one another and by the way we exhibit love. So we've been looking at the different characteristics of love, uh, uh, we've looked at the characteristic, last time we met, we looked at the characteristic of long-suffering, uh, that our love, we're, we're, we bear uh, many things and, and, and things such as that. We looked at the characteristic of kindness. Uh, we looked at the characteristic of contentment, being content with, with the things that the Lord has seen fit to put into our lives and give us in our lives. We talked about the characteristic of humility. Uh, and now I want to look at uh, today, um, uh, I'm sorry, the category uh, of humility. And today I want to look at characteristic number five of love, and that is propriety. Godly love is appropriate. It, I want to look at propriety of our, as disciples. Now if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verses 5 and 6, we read here, now, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> is breaking down the characteristics of, of godly love. And it says in verse 5, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you that ye walk worthy of the forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Let's pray before we, we go on any further. Father, thank you for this time that we have to glean from your word. I pray that you would instruct us this morning. I pray that. Uh, we would be admonished for being here and, and, and that you would give us things in our lives that we can use to further glorify you and to, to live according to your will and purpose. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoa, a booming voice from, from Bob. Okay. <clears throat> I read just a moment ago, Paul said that we would walk worthy. And that word walk, of course, is implying to the way we conduct our lives. It's, it's our manner of life. And Paul's prayer is, his, his hope is that you and I, as children of God, will walk appropriately. 
that we will conduct ourselves in a manner becoming and befitting God the Father. And he says that he beseeches that we would walk worthy. Uh, So given this admonition by Paul, I want to look today at how we should walk, how we should conduct ourselves. And he does give us some very definite points in Scripture uh, on how we should, we should walk as God's children. Firstly, on your, on your study sheets, we should walk in love. Walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, verses 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, by this admonition, of course, that we should walk in love, we understand that our life is to be a life of love and compassion, uh, not a life of bitterness and, and, and hatred. Now, I do want to take just a moment, though, to clarify something. The world would would say you don't love someone if you don't always give in. Now, as a father, as a parent, I know that's not true. Do we, do we exhibit true love to our children when we never trouble them? Do we exhibit true love to our children when we just say, oh, well, they're just, they're just expressing their individuality? You know, I know my dad didn't care much whether I was an individual or not. I was going to do what he said. And he was going to make sure that I did. You know, the Bible says, what? Spareth the rod? Spoileth the child. That's right. And uh, now I spoil my grandkids. Okay? I never trouble my grandsons. No matter what they do. That's okay. Uh, I figured my daughter and son-in-law, they got, they got the problem. Uh, it's not my role to be the disciplinarian. I'm to be the hero. And so... Uh, you know, I, I, but when I was raising my children, they, they may sometimes be confused because they're sitting over there and they're looking at me like, what did you just say? They didn't get away with anything. I made sure they towed the line. But I would hope, at least, that they've never doubted my love for them. Even when I'm hard on them at times. Even as adults, I'm hard on them at times. Because it, I don't care how old they get to be, I'm always their father, right? And I have the responsibility to train and to teach. But the world says, well, you don't love someone if you don't give them what they want, if you don't give in. But that's not godly love, okay? The Bible teaches us that whom the God loveth, he chasteneth. The son that he loveth, the Bible says, he chasteneth betimes um, and chasteneth behinds. So remember that. Not a life of bitterness, though. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So we should live a life of love and compassion, not of bitterness and hatred. Bitterness will, will, will ruin your life. It'll, it'll make you unhappy, it'll, and it'll ruin the lives of those around you. Who, who, who wants to be around a bitter person? I, I don't want to be around a bitter person. Uh, there's some people, when I see them coming, I turn around and go the other way. Huh? You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, some people, you don't want to ask them, how are you doing? Because they're going to actually tell you. And so, you know, we don't want to do that. Now, there may be some here this morning harboring feelings of ill will 
for deeds done even decades ago. Such is not the behavior of a disciple of Christ. Uh, We are to live a life of love, not a life of vengeance. Romans tells us, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And if someone has... If someone has truly done you wrong, you need to get on your knees and pray about that and turn it over to God and let the Lord deal with it. And you need to forgive them. And you need to not harbor that that bitterness in your heart. We're admonished (laughs) to do good things for those who do evil things unto us. And in so doing, the Bible says we heap, as it were, coals of fire upon their heads and Proverbs chapter 25, Solomon writes, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. So we're to have, we're to have a, a life of love and a, a life of compassion, understanding that love is not, is not just giving in all the time and not just uh, making sure someone else is is having their way. Love is is taking a stand for righteousness and truth, but it's done with compassion. It's a life of compassion. Jude, in his book, tells us in the 21st through 23rd verses, keeping keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So, so Jude admonishes us that we're to live our life with the same love, the same compassion, the same understanding that the Father has for us. And in doing so, we, we prove ourselves to be uh, children of God. So we're to walk in love. And then secondly, we see we're to walk in righteousness. Walk in righteousness. Again, in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We are to walk in Righteousness. Now, that's kind of difficult for us because there is no righteousness in in ourselves. We have no righteousness of our own. We know this to be true. But we have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. God, upon our salvation, has, has given us the ability. He's empowered us. He's enabled us to live in the righteousness 
of his son, Jesus Christ. We are to live our life as that new creation, that new creature that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, create, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, which, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are a, we are a new creation. When we get saved, uh, Paul explained in Romans chapter 6 that when we got saved, our, our body of sin, our corruptible body, was buried with Christ and was resurrected in the newness of life. Right? Didn't we just read that in, in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6? That, that we were, like as Christ, we were buried. The old nature, the old man was buried and resurrected to the new nature, the new man. Now, wait a minute. We still live in this body of flesh. This body of flesh is still corrupted. When will this body of flesh be made incorruptible? Does anybody know? Anybody want to venture a guess? At the rapture. At the rapture, Paul says, when this corruptible shall put on what? Incorruption. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the rapture of the church. Be it, be it those that are already in heaven or those that are still alive and yet remaining, all of us, our corruptible bodies will be changed into an incorruptible body. The spirits, the souls that are already in the presence of the Father in heaven will be given a body like as those of us on the earth when we are raptured to be with the Lord in the clouds forever we will be given that same new incorruptible body, right? So we, until that point, we live in this corruptible. We live in, in this corruptible flesh. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6 is we are not under its power. We are not under its authority unless we yield ourselves to it. And we've talked about this before many times. I don't want to belabor the point we talked about. Uh, the Bible says that we are to mortify the flesh. That means we're to put it down, we're to put it away. Uh, and we can only do this because we've been empowered and enabled to do this by the Father through the Son. And we live in Christ. We walk in Christ. We conduct our lives uh, with, an, with a, an awareness that we have the authority and the, 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 the ability to put down the flesh. When we sin, it's not because we have to. It's because we choose to. Didn't Jesus tell us that he would give us a means to escape the temptations of this life? And what is that means? Well, that means is the empowerment we have by virtue of our salvation. By virtue of the newness of life that God has given us, we have the empowerment to say When I'm at that point in my life, when I'm tempted, all I have to do is say, no, I will not sin against the Father. And I have the authority and the empowerment in Christ to do so. But we sin because we want to. We sin because it's fun. We sin because it's pleasurable. 
We sin because it, it serves a purpose in our lives. So let's be, let's be perfectly understanding of that. We don't, you know, Flip Wilson coined the phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. He has no, he has no power to make you sin. He can only tempt you. That's all he can do. As a child of God, you have the power to choose to do right or to do wrong. And we must exercise that choice at every instant of our life. Now, we can't do that, though. We can't do that unless we stay constantly aware of this fact. We have to live with a conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to live with a conscious awareness of the power we have been enabled by God. We must consciously live with the awareness that sin is at every, is, is at every corner. And we must consciously conduct our lives in a manner where we are walking. Paul said, how? How should we walk? Circumspectly. And that has the connotation of a soldier in battle. Not just walking around looking up at the trees and the sky, but constantly watching every point before him for the enemy that lurks to harm him. And we are to walk with an awareness, with a, with, with a, with a constant um, circumspection that, that, there's, that there's, the devil is out there waiting to devour us. He's waiting to consume us. The spirit of the Antichrist does already work. The evil, the evil of this world exists. And it will consume us if we are not cautious. So we must have that constant awareness and walk in righteousness. Because you can. And we need to understand that. So, we're to walk in love, we're, we're to walk in righteousness, but then thirdly, we're to walk in truth. <clears throat> we're to walk in truth. In, in the third John, in the book of third John, verses three and four, John writes, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, what John is talking about here is people who, who walk and talk the real deal. Not people who, not people who come to church on Sunday and, and say all the right things and behave in the right way and do all the right things, but then Monday through Saturday... They, they live their lives to their own pleasure and satisfaction. John is talking about people who, who consistently, who consistently walk in the truth of Christ at every moment of every day in their lives. Let me ask you a question. Why is our younger generation in the shape they are today? I mean... I mean, I mean, many of you, especially those of you who are my age or, or older, maybe a few years younger than me, we grew up in a very disciplined society. And even, I mean, we weren't, we weren't the exception. We were the rule. Right? Young people had respect. They, they were diligent. They worked hard. I mean, it was, a, it was rare when you found a young person who was lazy, a young person who was disrespectful. I mean, that was, that was uncommon. But today, it's commonplace. 
I mean, I often observe the, our younger generation, and, and I feel so sorry for them because they've been betrayed. And they were betrayed by their parents. They, they grew up observing the hypocrisy of their parents, the hypocrisy of the adults around them who talked of Christ but lived to satisfy the flesh. They've grown up watching adults battle one another over greed, over hatred. And, and this young generation today has no idea what it is to walk in truth. And unfortunately, a lot of our Christian society has no idea what it really means to walk in truth. We see so much hypocrisy in the, in the religious circles today and, and even the Christian circles today. And, and it's a sad thing. There's an old adage that, that goes, do as I say, not as I do. But that's not God's philosophy. That's the, that's the excuse of a generation of people who want to satisfy their flesh and say, look, don't do like I do. Do like, do like I say, but not as I do. You think, do you think children are really going to follow that admonition? No. Matter of fact, it's my observation that each generation is going to push the envelope a little bit further than the generation before them. So if the generation before them is laying a very poor foundation for, for living their lives, what's the next generation going to do? Well, they're going to live an even worse life. Now, that, that therefore, lays the burden of responsibility on you and I. I'm a grandfather now. I've raised my children. But I still have an obligation to live an example in front of my grandsons, to show them in my, by my life the importance of Christ. It's their parents' responsibility, but I'm not off the hook now because I'm a grandparent. And listen, by the way, none of you are off the hook either. Each one of us, as God's children, have a responsibility to walk in truth. We have an, a responsibility to live our lives in such a way that Christ can be seen in us. We read in the book of James, James chapter 1, the 20th through 24th verses, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Then he writes, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, when, when we are not a doer of the word, then we deceive our own selves that, that we're okay. I mean, there are people that come to church and they'll sit in the, in the pew. They'll listen to an inspiring message by the pastor. They'll hear what they ought to do. They'll hear what's right and what's wrong. But they'll get up and go their way and continue to live their lives according to their own desires and not according to the truth of God. That's a person who is deceiving themselves. They leave here thinking that they're righteous and feeling that they're righteous, but in their heart they're not. We're not to be 
We're not to be just doers. We're, we're, I'm not just hearers. We're to be doers of the word of God. In other words, we're to show an example by our lives. So we see the characteristics of propriety, uh, to walk in love, to walk in righteousness, and to walk in truth. And, and as I said already, we have been empowered to do so. We have been enabled by God that we might do so. We are not subject to the flesh. We are not subservient to the flesh. We have been given power and authority over the flesh, but we must exercise that power and authority and not yield ourselves, not yield our members unto unrighteousness. But then I want to look at a sixth characteristic, and that is this. The sixth characteristic of godly love is perpetuity. Perpetuity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're still there, look at verse 7. We read, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Chapter 8, uh, verse 8 of chapter 13 read, Charity never faileth. And in that we can say, True love, real love never dies. Life uh, consider the life, the love of a mother for a moment. Let's think about our mothers for a moment. Consider the love of a mother. Uh, my life began with waking up and loving my mother's face. Huh? You ever see the bond between a child and its mother? It's so special, isn't it? The Usually the mother's face is the first face the child sees in the morning. Hmm? In the morning, who goes to the baby's crib and lovingly lifts them out of the crib? It's mama. Who feeds them? It's mama. Who takes care of them? It's mama. Consider the mother's love is instinctual. It's unconditional. And it's forever. Now, I understand that there have been some pretty sick mothers in this world who have kill their own children, and, and, and that's not normal. We know that. But a mother, by instinct, loves their child, doesn't she? And, and her love is unconditional. You know, when a child is really bad and everybody in the, in the room is looking at that kid, and, and even their own dad is kind of, <sighs> the mom's love is unconditional, right? Mom is always going to defend her baby. Yeah, we've seen that. We've all seen that. Uh, My mother's love for me was so great. I've worked harder in life to justify it. Huh? How many of you want you? How many of you today, honestly, you say, "I want to make. I want my mama to be proud of me." Huh? I mean, we wouldn't sit there and say, "I don't care if mom likes. I don't care if my mom's proud of me or not. I don't care." I wouldn't say that. A mother's love is so special. A mother loves her children even when they least deserve to be loved. Who ran to help me when I fell? Or who kissed the place that I hurt to make it well? My mother did. A mother understands what a child does not say. Huh? Did you ever think of that? You can't fool your mama, can you? Mom used to say, what's wrong, son? Oh, nothing, mom. Oh, don't, don't give me that. 
I know something's wrong. What is it? A mom understands. The love of a mother causes her to understand feelings of her child, even when the child won't express the feelings. A man loves his sweetheart the most, his wife the best, but his mother the longest. Because even when our mothers are gone, we still love them. That's a special love. That's a love that never, ever ends. Now, I understand there are special cases where people will say, I hate my mom. And, but we know for the normal, for the, for the most part, every one of us in this room knows how special our mother is to us. How much we love her. And that's the love of God. You know, God's love never fails. When, when, you, when you hurt, who's there for you? Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Who provides for us at every point in our lives? It's, it's God, the Father. The love is, of God is so great. Now, there's three things I want us to see about God's love. Uh, four things, and then we'll be done. First, I want you to see the strength of godly love. The strength of godly love. And we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. Beareth all things. In Galatians chapter 6, the first two verses, Paul writes, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The strength of God's love is is seen in our forbearance and in our love for one another. We're admonished to help each other with, with life's hardships. Love bears all things. Love does not succumb to difficulties. God doesn't stop loving us when it becomes difficult to love us. And, and love does not succumb to disappointments. No matter how many times I disappoint God, and, and I know I do. I disappoint God regularly, I'm sure. But God never stops loving me because I disappoint him, does he? Godly love, we see the strength of godly love. But then secondly, we see the trust of godly love. In Psalm 18 and verse 2, we read, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength. In whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Man will let you down. Man will let you down. You know, I, I don't want to. I hope I never do. But if all of you, if, if we interact enough in life, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you. I will. Because I, I just can't. I, I don't have the ability to not do that. But we can always trust in God because God will never let us down. He is faithful. More than faithful. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, we read, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Twice, Solomon says in that passage, it is better to trust in the Lord. And, and we, we know that we can trust God in all things at all times. 
God will never, ever forsake us. But then we, we not only see the strength and trust of godly love, but third, we see the vision of godly love. The vision of godly love. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 7, it says, Hopeth all things. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 29 and verse 18, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy. Happy is he. And love sees what no one else can see. And godly love uh, gives us a vision for what we can be in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, but then lastly, and I close with this, we see the persistence of godly love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7 again. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We see the persistence of godly love. A few moments ago I said true love never dies. And when we are true disciples of Christ, our love will stand the tests. All the tests that can be thrown at it, our love will stand. And, and, and godly love is, God never fails to love us. But oh, how often we fail to love him as we should. And as true disciples of Christ, we should strive at every moment of our life and every instant in our lives to love the Lord and put him first above all things. I leave you with this thought. Moses put God first, didn't he? Moses would have been the king of Egypt. He would have been Pharaoh, and at that time, that was the most powerful man on earth. But Moses... The Bible said, forsook the pleasures of this life and the powers and authority therein because he loved God and he wanted to honor God and put the Lord first. Do we do that? Do we put the Lord first in our lives? Or do we at times in our lives just push the Lord aside and do what what we want to do? Well, we can do that, but we can't call ourselves true disciples of Christ if we do. I want to be a true disciple of Christ. And in order to be, to be one, I have to meet all of these expectations that the Lord has put upon us. So let's live our lives to the glory of the Father. Let's, let's walk as true disciples of Christ. Let's walk in love. Let's, let's, let's pass the test of love in our lives. All right, folks, I have to stop. It's time to dismiss. Thank you for being here today, and uh, you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.